Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Didn't work. It's good. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, good morning. Oh, wow. <laughs> morning, Lola. What oh, these, these conversations are amazing. You, you, you wonderful people are amazing, too. What I do. All right, so Acts chapter 8. <clears throat> There's a lot in this chapter. Stephen's been stoned. That's what we talked about last week. Saul goes on a rampage, starts arresting people and throwing people in jail and killing people. Most of the believers scatter and run like flies. Run like flies? I don't think that really makes sense. Cockroaches. Scatter like cockroaches. There you go. Yeah. But there's a few disciples. They're really crazy. They stick around. Plus it's a mutant fly. There's a sorcerer named Simon. How about it? He's getting involved in this action here in chapter 8. But what do you think about him? He's a for-profit organization, isn't he? Mm-hmm. For those of you who read the whole chapter are familiar with Simon. For-profit organization. Maybe he needs to buy a new airplane. He's like, he's like a politician. Right? Yeah. I want what you have because it seems popular. People, right. people follow you. How about that? And then we land at verse 26, and we read about an incredible story that ends in a Star Trek-level plot twist. How about it? So what stood out to you overall in this whole big chapter before we get into the conversion of the Ethiopian official, which is the topic of our discussion today. What do you think? Huh? The verses specifically we're going to talk about is 26 through 40-something. But overall, um, if you read the you know, the chapter, the, the sections about Saul, the persecutor, Philip and Samaria, there's a lot there. Simon, Simon's sin, a lot of big stuff. Well, there's, yeah, there's, it sets the stage for a lot of things. It does. Yeah, absolutely. You know, to see what kind of zealot Saul was who turned into the Apostle Paul. You know. mm-hmm. Interesting fun fact about that. So we know Saul turned into the Apostle Paul, and he was standing there. Uh, collecting all the coats for the different people who were stoning Stephen and all that was going on. And so Saul, who was a Pharisee, theologian, kind of in the Jewish time there, he, he knew the Bible really well. He was a Pharisee. A Pharisee. Mm-hmm. Now, do you think that he's standing there witnessing Stephen being stoned and he heard Stephen say the words, receive my spirit, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. He's seeing Stephen respond and act the same way Jesus did. Okay? Because Saul had to know about Jesus and was alive when Jesus did his ministry too, right? I mean, we're not talking a hundred years later. Right, right. This is very soon. So, So, can you imagine potentially Saul sitting there and he's observing all this. Now, he's a lover of God. He loves God. He loves the Bible. Clearly, by his actions, he thought Arresting these people and throwing them in prison, he was doing right. 
But do you think that Stevens' um, character that he was displaying caused Saul to say, now wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. How can a guy who's truly a heretic act like that? Like he's not fighting, he's not... You know, I wonder if that started the process of him, you know, the Holy Spirit in that moment of Stephen's death were the seeds planted in Saul's mind that eventually then blossomed a few short time later, which we're going to read about here soon, when Saul became Paul and was converted on the road to Damascus. I, I, I would almost argue it would be the opposite. Because when you really feel threatened by something, you really feel that this is not God-led. Mm. You get defensive almost on a certain level that just is deep. Mm. And um, I think he probably looked at Stephen like all the other heretics and stuff. I mean, trust me, this isn't the first person they took out and stoned. Sure. Okay, so sure. they're good at that stuff. Yeah, that's since um, the olden, olden days, that's the so, way they did it. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, by and large, he was probably, he wasn't converted to Christianity or anything at this point. He was very much, you know, to the story of Christ, he was very much opposed it, mm. opposed to it. And so I, I think what you're seeing is the other side of the coin where you're seeing where he comes from. Mm. I like it. Yeah, I just wanted to sprinkle a little bit of a conversation about Paul because, you know, building up to when we do actually start digging into to Paul more heavily later on here in a few weeks, um, it'll help maybe enrich the conversation and some things to think about. So so jumping down to verse 26, Acts chapter 8, verse 26 through, through 40, the conversion of the Ethiopian official. This is an amazing story. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what we can unpack in it. So... Uh, Mom, would you be willing to read 26 through 30, please? <clears throat> An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, Get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and he went. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch and high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot, on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. The spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. When Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? Thank you. Uh, Lola, you want to read some? Sure. Yeah, 31 through 33. How can I, he said, unless someone guides me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the scripture passage he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Mm. The eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, who is this prophet saying this about, himself or someone else? Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with that scripture. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, there's water. 
what would keep me from being baptized? So he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip appeared in Azotus, and he was traveling and preaching the gospel in all the towns until he came to Caesarea. What comes to mind? Well, one for me is the, the the traveling, the instant traveling. You know, and actually, Mark and I were talking about this earlier because as as a child, you know, you grew up with all the Sabbath school stories and and biblical stories and and what I perceived was different, you know, it was perceived as in, you know, yes, it was a miracle that the jailers, you know, the doors were open and the jailers were asleep or, you know what I mean? Or whatever other miracle there was, but it was never the thought that it could instantly be, they're just out of there, mm. you know? And it, it, it's, and as I read it, more it's like wow how did i never catch that as as a kid you know what i mean because i even though it was a miracle it it's like very different it just really shows another other level of of power or or otherworldly sense things things we don't understand yeah yeah Absolutely. And, well, that same thing happened to Jesus a few times, didn't it? Yeah. Jesus was somewhere, and then he wasn't. Right. The thing about the apostles in jail, though all of a sudden they weren't. Uh, from a military perspective, you fall asleep on duty, that's an executable offense. You deserve to be shot, because you put everyone in danger. Now imagine everyone falling asleep and letting these people walk out. That whole battalion would have been executed. And so you, you, it's from a military perspective, it's, mm. you know, so it, they had to been teleported out. It's crazy. Beat me up, Scott. Mom, you want to comment? It, it amazes me the level of um, trust in the, the um, activity, the, the miracles, the energy of the spirit moving. Mm. And they had some crazy stuff going on. You know the, the the healings, the being rescued from the prisons, the the people showing up here and there, um, the gift of the tongues. Um, there was just like such uh, such crazy things going on, but they weren't afraid of it. The new believers, they weren't afraid of it. It's almost like they anticipated, they expected it, they relished in it. Whereas today, when stuff like that happens, we question. We don't, we don't lean into that. We don't trust that as much. Yeah. You know. Yeah, because, because you know he, the uh, eunuch was was baptized, and he didn't see, uh, Philip anymore. Yeah. But, it's like he didn't even care about that. He was so happy he was baptized yeah. and receiving. Yeah. You know that, I guess that eternal. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. 
you know, they, yeah, <laughs> they, they lean into these experiences, uh-huh. you know. Joe, you have a comment? No, I'm just listening. Okay. Angel or Sarah, do you have a comment? Anything to add? Um, check out, check out verse 32 and 33. This is, uh, Isaiah 53, 7 and 8. That's what the Ethiopian was reading. Um, but I want to focus on specifically 32 real quick. And I want to guide us through some questions. Um, well, maybe before that, 31. The Ethiopian said, or, uh, all right, let's back up again. Man, maybe we should start at the top. <laughs> Verse 30. Philip asked the Ethiopian, do you understand what you're reading? The Ethiopian. Well, how can I? Okay? So, how many times do we as Christians give someone a Bible? Hey, read your Bible. But we expect them to understand what they're reading sometimes. How can they? Okay, I think that's a lesson in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And the Ethiopian says, unless someone guides me. Okay? So... I think that's great. Now, move to 32. Um, now, scripture passage he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before its shears, so he does not open his mouth. What's being described in that verse? With persecution before the Sanhedrin. So, to an uneducated... Ethiopian. What would he understand that to be? What is being described? We understand what it metaphorically a sacrifice. The Jewish sacrificial thing, yeah. Okay. Would an Ethiopian be a Jew and all that? I mean, it did say he was worshiping there. But more importantly, I think what I'm trying to drive at is led like a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before its shear, he does not open his mouth. He's describing the nature of a lamb. That's what's being described there, yeah. is the nature of this animal. Okay, Because if anybody here has ever experienced animals, I mean, I mean, Sarah, you had a lot of llamas and sheep and different stuff growing up as kids. I did too. I mean, some of them struggled, but most of the time they weren't attacking you like a lion. Mm-hmm. That's their nature. Okay, So what's being described is the character, okay? We can say the character of a lamb, right? So I think we need to focus on that first as we get going down through this. Um, and then, and then, um, well, verse 33, does anybody have a, have a struggle with what that means? In his humiliation, justice was denied him who will describe his generation. For his life is taken from the earth. What does that mean? Justice was denied Jesus. Um, they they said, you know, we can't find any fault in him. You know, he was a humble servant of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and was it Pilate had said, you know, you're going to have to take him. I, I, I'm washing my hands. I don't find anything wrong with this man. Mm-hmm. You know. Okay. So, but justice was still denied him. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, they arrested him during the night, which was even against the laws of, you know, mm-hmm. like against their own laws. They actually arrested a person like during the night, like during the, during the cover of night, so people want to know. 
and I guess they're, they're not supposed to arrest. You right. Know, they gotta do it up in public. Yeah. Like doing daylight and stuff, and they actually just chase them during the cover of night. So can you see the parallel then? Isaiah's writing here, he's describing the nature and character of a lamb, and he's putting it parallel to what happened in Jesus' life. And he's describing a situation as a lamb doesn't fight and all this kind of stuff, so Jesus didn't either. He's making a connection, a parallel between the two natures or the two characters. Right? Is it is it safe to kind of... Well, that's what 53 is all about. Yes. Well, that's... That's the. That's yeah. what it's all about. So. Three is really powerful. Yeah, it's. It's essentially telling the story of what's going to happen, however many hundreds or thousand years later. Yeah. To the T. And that was a metaphor that they could all understand. Mm-hmm. They're all shepherds, shepherds mm-hmm. and fishermen, so they could relate to that because. Mm-hmm. That was the, the testament they had. Yeah. That yeah. one, the Old Testament. It was the testament. The one they had. Yeah. I. I also want to point out that the eunuch official was a seeker mm. so mm-hmm. his character was also seeking truth and you know open to I'm sure this wasn't the only subject he was open to but you know the fact that he was open to understanding what this meant what this mystery was you know it's it's it just reminds me of us. How many of us think we know it all? We're, we're here. We know it, but aren't open to hearing what else God has to tell us. Yes, or, and, yes, and, is there a lesson in there about we need to be watchful for those who are seeking and asking questions versus going out and Bible thumping people and saying, here, you need this, you need this, you need this, even if they're not seeking. If they're not seeking, they're not going to pick up yeah. what you're laying down. Yeah. They're just not. Unless it immediately applies to something they're struggling with. Unless they... That's uh, yeah. the Holy Spirit doing that. There you go. They're not going to open up to it. They're, they're just going to be more closed-minded yet. But, but do you give up on those people? You know, what, what is your solution to that? Because... It doesn't seem like the right thing to do. Do you give up? It's not the right question to ask. I think is, do you give up? Well, I mean, it's like, not a yes or no. Uh-huh. But the question is, are you there for when they want to know and learn? Mm-hmm. I think that should be the question asked. Should should you know? Because do you want to give up on a person? To give up on a person is to throw them away and not deal with them anymore. But to be there. For, for when that person asks for help or learning or what have you, and that I think that's how the question should be asked because I think giving up your trash and that you're, you're disposing of. Well, you're judging. I'm, you're judging. Let me rephrase but, that yeah, because, because, because I wasn't meaning give oh, up. Oh, no, I understand that, but I'm putting that in but... other aspects of my life uh-huh. where do we give up on somebody who doesn't want to help themselves? You sort of, uh, but when they're ready to come back and ready to learn, ready to be healed they're gonna you, you gotta have that door always open up for them okay so here's an example and this is just because it's on my mind you're walking on the street the person next to you is with you uh they're getting ready to step on the road there's a car coming are you pulling them back yes are you you know hey 
something's coming because something's coming. It's not a car, but something's coming and time is short. Mm, I like the metaphor you're getting at. So that person what says, do you do? so you're warning them, you're warning them, uh-huh. you're getting their attention, pay attention, something's coming, okay? Mm-hmm. But what if that person says, man, get off me, and they... Then they get hit by the car. They get hit by the car. But you tried. But you tried. I mean, just look at Noah. Noah preached for 150 years before the flood came. So we were at the concert last night, and uh, the singer for Casting Crowns, Mark, I can't remember what his last name is, but he said something that really stuck with me. He said, our purpose on earth is to know God and make him known. To know God and make him known. And he talked about that by some people, and then he kind of connected that with our with the idea of like ministry. People need to find their ministry and get into this ministry and do this kind of stuff. <coughs> he kind of said that your ministry is... Maybe you can help me with this there. I can't remember if you remember the point that he was talking about, but I should have written it down. It was really good. You know, what you do, medical, school, you know, construction, whatever it is, what you do is is the ministry where you make him known. Yep, that concept. It was it was really profound. So I think to the point of this conversation, um, we should our purpose is to live life always revealing who God is, making him known in our life. And 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 the more we come in harmony with that, the more people will be drawn to us because they're seeking, or the more people will oppose us because darkness, love, you know, Evil loves the darkness more than the light. You know? Kind of a concept. Well, I think this story with Philip and the Ethiopian is a good um, guide. Um, the Ethiopian was seeking. Mm-hmm. He was, with love said, he was a seeker. He was seeking. God knew he was seeking. Just like God knows every person out here in your sphere each of us have our sphere of people that we hang out with every day. God knows in your sphere or who you come across that's a seeker. And he said to um, Philip, go talk to that guy. He's a seeker. Mm-hmm. And Philip listened. He heard the voice of the Spirit. And he listened and he went. Mm-hmm. So somehow I think that's a lesson for us. If we are, if we're hanging out with Jesus and we're staying connected, when his spirits, when you're having a conversation with somebody, mm-hmm. you know, when his spirit says, hey, this might be an open door here. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to stay in tune with Jesus and with his spirit. So that when he says, hey, your neighbor over here is, you know, or, or your co-worker or whoever, then you kind of fall into that and that door opens then to, to talk to the seeker. Let's jump down to verse 35, and there's some things in here that I think are really important to kind of draw out. Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with that scripture. All right, I got some questions, and let's do a little bit of discussion on this. What is the good news? Other translations would use the word gospel, but what's the good news? That Jesus died for us. Okay. Jesus loves us. Okay. We serve a loving God. Okay. 
died for us, loves us, serve a loving God. What does this 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 aspect that Philip is saying, you know, uh, he proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus. It's important because what does Satan accuse God of? Being a dictator. Dictator. Controlling. Controlling. Arbitrary. Can't trust him. That's what Satan accuses God of. He's not actually loving. Okay? So, then, what's the good news? I've come to show you the Father. Satan's wrong. To reveal the truth about God. That God isn't like that. And Jesus came to give the evidence, right? So, Revelation 14.6 expounds on this idea of good news a little bit more. Check this verse out. And I saw another angel flying through the sky carrying the eternal good news to proclaim to the people who belong to this world. Every nation, tribe, language, and people. The eternal good news. Right? So, what is the only thing that's eternal? God. God. That's the only thing that's eternal. So, if the good news is Jesus died for your sins, can that be true? No. Jesus didn't die eternally for your sins. No, 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 no. Right. So, these are some interesting questions. The effects last eternally. Eternally future, but not eternally past. Correct. Right? So, we got to think about it in that lens. So, if God is eternal then isn't God's nature or character also eternal? Mm-hmm. Right? Do you see where I'm going with this? Because Satan came up with the idea that the reality and the truth about God, that all the heavenly hosts who existed pre-creation of this earth, you tracking? All the angels, Lucifer, everything that existed before earth was created. Okay, that's when sin originated. Satan started lying about God's character. Even with all these other heavenly hosts having evidence of who God was. They dwelt in the presence of God, right? The Bible tells us that the third of the angels believe Satan, all of humanity, from Adam on, believe these lies. We all believe this lie. When we believe a lie, what do we do? You believe a lie, you seek to protect yourself. You don't trust something. Okay, that's a lot of a lot of what happens there. The essence of sin is selfishness, protection of self, right? But God says, I love my creation so much that I will freely sacrifice self for all eternity future and become like us sitting around this room. God says, I'll walk with them, I'll talk with them, I'll let them touch me, I'll even let them spit on me, hit me, and kill me, okay? But here's what's even more important. God doesn't say, I'm going to let the Chinese do that. I'm going to let the Indians do that. Remember we talked about this last week? Who did God come to? The Israelites, the people, the Bible writers, the people who God promised to bring about Jesus. So so God said, I'm going to go to my people, and I'm going to let them lead me like a lamb for the slaughter and I'm going to let them kill me and you're going to see what my nature is all about I'm going to demonstrate the evidence so what does that evidence reveal about God in response to Satan's allegations what does it show by God coming to demonstrate all of that 
What does that reveal about Satan's act? He's a liar. He's a liar. That he's a liar. And the truth is not in him. That's right. It reveals that Satan is a liar. That God isn't like Satan accuses him to be. That he's not vengeful. That he's not angry. That he's not a dictator. Or untrusting. <laughs> okay? So, let's make this, let's, let's really draw this, like, make it real. So, put yourself there right now, and you're in a chariot with an Ethiopian dude, and you've just read the scripture, and someone just asked you that question. Help me understand this. Okay? The Ethiopian asked Philip, how can I understand unless someone teaches me? Someone just asked you that question. They just finished reading Isaiah 53, and they asked you, what does this mean? Who's he talking about? Is he talking about Isaiah or is he talking about somebody else? Okay? What do you say? How will you answer that? Okay, but not just how are you going to answer it, but in light of the great controversy that we just kind of briefly went through about what Satan's accusing God of and how God demonstrated the evidence to it, how will you answer that that makes God look good and does not support Satan's accusation? It's by your. It's by your character and mm. your, you know. Because as you get to know God more, your character is changing. It's mm -hmm. molding. Mm -hmm. It's that's the law of shifting. Worship. Yes. You know, but in a good way. Yes. You know, you're you're being molded into. You know, not that you're God, but but in in a way, the way God wants you to be, He's He's molding you. So your character is like the what you're presenting to them. So if someone asks you that question, and you start with Isaiah, and you start revealing to him the good news about God, then then the way you would present it to him would be non-coercive, non-fear-based, non not any of those things. It would just be the the, the truth spoken in love and, and letting him process this as he goes. Yes. How much of Christianity is like, uh, I saw this picture, man. Jesus knocking on the door. It's Revelation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone receives me, I'll come to him. Right? Who is it? It's Jesus. What do you want? I want to come in. Why? Well, to save you for what I'm going to do to you if you don't let me in. Yeah. Like, a lot of people have that view of God. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what I'm hearing you say is by the way you would describe God and the methods you would use, would you reveal the truth about that? I can dig that. Yeah. And how you are. Because mm -hmm. people can Your tell character. who you are. Mm -hmm. You know? Right? To know God and make him known? Yeah. Kind of a concept? Yeah. Interesting how Philip didn't take him through a 26-lesson Bible study to get him to understand the doctrines of the church before he was yeah. baptized. How about that? I've been wanting to say that. been wanting to say that. <laughs> yeah. And I'm a bite in my tongue. Yeah. And, you know, also interesting is he specifically asked by that one, about that one question, mm -hmm. you know, what question is, and... He met him there. Mm -hmm. And that is how Jesus is with us. He meets us where we are. Where we are. Amen. And he works.
from there. Mark's got a comment. We'll go over here too, see if Sarah then has something. The Ethiopian's way down the line of studying. If he had a particular question about Isaiah 53, he had been reading a while. So, as you worship or as you study and as you get into these scriptures, you're going to be changed. So he was ready for it. Mm. He didn't have to go through a 26 study because you pull someone off the street that doesn't know anything about God. You really should lay the groundwork on what the Bible says about the Creator. Mm. So it's a, I think it's a different aspect to delineate just this random Ethiopian in a, in a chariot. But he was had a specific question about Isaiah 53. How many people off the street would have that question? So the guy in the chariot was waiting for that V8 moment. Right. <laughs> That's funny. But I guess I didn't see it that way. What I was saying yeah. is he was a seeker. So a seeker, he's looking for truth. He's been reading and all of that. I've never said that he was someone who just out of the blue, you know. No, 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 I understand. You know? But it, there, there was already along that process. He's already had read the scriptures to that point. He read the law and that, that aspect, you know, I, I'm sure. In order to have that kind of specific question, you have to know everything around it to be able to... You know, that's, that's something I never even thought of, you know. I was thinking this, some dude was probably, ah, what does this mean? Hey, what does this mean? No, there, there's a reason why he got to this point. He, he's been understanding and he's been reading and he's trying to, to learn himself. It's like the last little piece maybe that clicked for him. Yeah. And, like you said, yeah. Um, Sarah, Angel, any comments from you guys? And then we'll wrap, we'll wrap this up. Any more comments? I say, I thought we've been wrapping the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I guess to the discussion we were just having, you know, in 35 it says, Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus beginning with the scripture. Mm-hmm. Like, in a way that, that seems to me, like if he has to tell him, right, about the good news of Jesus and then beginning with that scripture like that doesn't really lead me to believe that maybe he had a whole lot of previous experience in that you know in these concepts so maybe he had some understanding but maybe you know we also don't know how long it took them to travel down the road right I mean I was gonna say that it too. could have taken them Eight hours. Eight hours, right? Yeah. Like, we learn a lot in eight hours. So, I don't know. So, Great. Thank you. Because I think, like, our job, like, I think as Christians, at least I grew up, um, the concept was that, you know, we were supposed to be rescuers of people that were lost or doing wrong things, or, like, our job was to tell them that they were doing the wrong things, right? Mm-hmm. And then invite them to an evangelistic series. And then trick them until, like, the, what, the third week and then they you know go to the church to have yeah. a series and <laughs> right true you say trick them so right so evangelistic yeah. means you don't tr- start in a church you, no, start, you start in start some school it. or yeah. some right and then you move to the second image church right yeah um so like in that concept like we're taught that like we should go out and rescue these people that like know less have less understanding um and I think that's the, the fundamental problem. Like, it's our job to live in a way that makes these people... Um, Question. Right, like, ask 
ask questions, right? Like want to know more or um, you know, I don't know. So I, you know, I don't, I don't know. Like maybe that whole experience with the eunuch and Philip, like he on that trip, right? Um, he learned all he needed to know at that point. Like somehow he got a hold of you know the scripture and like I wonder what the heck that means, right? And then. Well, we can connect it to, to, to uh, and then we'll, we'll have closing prayer, but, you know, uh, Paul is, Peter and Paul, they're imprisoned, and the jailer comes to him and says, what must I do to be saved? And uh, he just said, you know, in a, in a very short, simple conversation, and, you know, I think the truth about God can be distilled down into such a short conversation where it can be life-changing. Life changing. Good conversations. And I love the opposing views. Like that's what makes this great because we're all you know, it's it's enriching. So yeah, wonderful. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this conversation. And as we wrestle with these concepts and different views and different ideas and things that we've you know, aha moments, what does that mean? I don't know, how does it fit? As we work through all of this, you are doing your work to guide us as all the pieces fall into place. And um, I just I just love the, the fact that we can do this here. Bless us as we go about our weeks, and may you bring us back together next week as well for another good conversation. We pray in your name. Amen. 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 Amen.